Never in the history of the world have the merchants of obscenity had available to them the modern facilities for disseminating this filth. Disseminating this filth. The onslaught of the communist masters of deceit. Bingo. Sluts. Inco. Comma. Sluts. Inco. Comma. Sluts. Inco. Comma. All right. Hello, everyone. Here we are. Pinko Kami Sluts. We are in action. I don't know. I, don't uh, know. I like to think of the dogs as their own um, Waldorf and whatever the other guy's name was from the Muppets. The old dudes uh, in the yeah. company. Oh, they my. are some of your favorite characters in all of television, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. They're great characters. I wonder why. Because they, they provide a comedic uh, foil to the rest of the show and a metacriticism of the form. Yeah, they were awesome. Unlike this show, which is a stinker. <laughs> That's based on two of Jim Henson's professors he had. I see. Cranks. At the University of Maryland. Huh. Cranks, all Fun of them. Fun fact. Fun fact. Yeah. Like their facial profiles or their... No, like the whole, the concept of them entirely is based on two professors he felt were very critical in this particular way that mm-hmm. he wanted to... Like gay old Jews at a theater? Like... I don't know if these particular <laughs> professors, what their uh, background was ethnically. I like, just do know did they, they see are... his essays and go, this one's a... <laughs> you know what I'd rather be doing? Anything else other than reading your essay. <laughs> that would be great to have as a professor. But yes, that's a fun fact you learn when you go to the University of Maryland College mm-hmm. Park. It's the big the big ones are Jim Henson went here and there's a Kermit statue on campus. I see. And uh, Connie Chung. Connie Chung went there. Mrs. Maury Povich. I thought that's what happened to her. What, is that she's married to Maury Povich? Yes. Yes. I mean, that's not what happened to her. What happened to her is she tried to ensnare Newt Gingrich's parents into calling Hillary Clinton a bitch on television. (laughs) And then people were like, you know, no. That's, uh," I mean, which I think it was very cool what Connie Chung did. She was like, just whisper it to me. <laughs> and then they put it on the TV. It was great. Uh, but then Connie Chung did lose work. Yeah, but, okay. I mean, she's married to Maury Povich. We should have been a little bit I always felt suspicious. Like, I always felt like... yes, I judge you by your choice of... Did Maury have a chant, too? Jerry's... Uh, had Jerry. Well, Maurice, the you are you are the father. You are yeah, not the yeah. father. But yeah. did he have a chant leading up to that? I, I felt don't like. Know. I mean, I think there might have been some Mari Mari, but uh, I don't know. I think Mari. It was It wasn't. It like does Jerry. sound right. <laughs> like it wasn't like Springer's. Like it was Jerry. Just Jerry. Like you had a crowd work guy before the cameras started rolling, and you know. Chanting a two-syllable name is easy. 
Says you. Jerry Springer was, I remember it was a big no-no growing up along with Power Rangers. Like, you couldn't... Yeah. Wait, wait, I mean, other than that, they came on they at similar times um, in the afternoon when children would be getting home from school. And were, at least where I grew up, were both on Fox. They both had violence. That's it. Yeah. Oh, I they, mean, you're, there was a moral panic in the early '90s about children of a certain age watching things that endorse seemed to endorse violence. Uh, there's definitely a specific moral panic about Springer because I do remember. I would need to confirm this, but my school sent home a note just telling parents not to let your kids watch Springer. And I remember it at the time, my parents going, oh, that's interesting. And I'm like, what, what are you guys talking about? And it's like, oh, this talk show that the school mentions that you shouldn't watch. And I'm like, this is school talking about this. Like, can I watch it? And they're like, no. And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> and in hindsight, I assume they were talking about Jerry Springer. Like, it's just like this weird memory that I've since assigned. Oh, yeah, that was probably about Springer. It was definitely in the uh, Tipper Gore kind of... Tipper Gore, wait, that was much... I mean, that was almost that was like earlier. 10 years earlier. But it was in the same, like... Yeah, those, those 90, ripples. 92, on. 93, I was five, four or five years old. Of course, what Steve is referring to is that Tipper Gore is the one who essentially got uh, parental advisory stickers on albums and other pieces of media. She particularly, the uh, anecdotal story of why she felt compelled to do this was that uh, she discovered one of her young children had the I, the Purple Rain album, I believe, and yeah. particularly the song Darling Nikki, uh, which of course starts talking about a lady masturbating in a hotel mm-hmm. lobby. Can't do that. Which is cool, man. Look. You can't do that in, in Reagan's America. Yeah, which was very cool. Uh, whereas my parents were not tuned in to any panics. And my mom herself gave me Prince's Greatest Hits uh, CD. Mm. <laughs> not even say the Satanic Panic? No. You think my, I, pa- you think my parents gave I mean, a shit about fucking made up shit that Americans were doing? I don't know. You're the one that complains <laughs> about the evil eye. It seems... I mean, they are not connected. (laughs) Well, they're not connected. They're like two different things. I I know, I know. uh, I'm just... So it's. I'm just uh, trying to figure out these borders between evil. I mean, the evil eye is correct and real, and the part of a culture, and the satanic panic is fake and a part of no culture. Uh, I don't know. It was pretty part of culture in the 80s. From it was a part of a monstrosity that was in the form of culture, but it wasn't true culture. Mm. I would just say that they're like a superstition tradition, whatever is uh, distinct from what I associate uh, with the satanic panic. Not to say that some people who grew up with a superstition aren't somewhat more vulnerable to something like this. I certainly had people tell me uh, you can't look at, you know, tarot cards or like things like that. Like those things were like generally kind of like, ooh, whatever. But like my actual mother and father (laughs) are not these kind of people. Like, so I guess I was in a community where people were like very superstitious, et cetera. 
where maybe some people in that community could have been, I guess, vulnerable to this. And, you know, but my, my mom and dad would never have, uh, okay, okay. they would have been like, they would be like, sounds fucking made up. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, just uh, in the spectrum of like, they would randomly be uh, like, you can't watch this or whatever, but like. Like what? Like I wasn't allowed to watch 90210. Mm. Uh, things that my mom perceived as being like. Too boobalicious. Sexy, yeah. yeah she was, was like, you can't watch that. But like it was out of step with my peers because a lot of my peers, like their parents were fine with them watching something like that uh, or whatever, even if it was a little old because uh, they wanted their kids to be cool. <laughs> <laughs> they, they wanted some clout for their kids. Yeah, I mean... Uh, yeah, like she was only particular about those things. And then um, I wasn't, I really, really, really wanted to see the movie Cool World. <laughs> like, What's Cool World? Cool yeah, World is a, is a early 90s or, or mid 90s movie with a young, young Brad Pitt where he mm. um, basically he he enters into an animated world. Oh, it's uh, Who Framed jo- Roger and then, Rabbit? And then there's a sexy blonde woman it is who who's a cartoon. Rabbit. And then like, I don't know if it's Brad Pitt or another character who has sex with her, but then she gets to like become real because she had sex. But like I was young and I didn't, really fuck? realize that this is the... Why have we not watched yeah, I've never the, heard of this You've movie. never heard of Cool yeah. World? When you, when you like named it, I was like, oh, Wait, I'm I sure that's a movie it. that like... It's awesome. It's my it's like point, my bucket no. list. Uh, if I'm ever on a uh, talk show television. with Brad Pitt, I'm just going to ask him exclusively about Cool World. I've <laughs> never, ever heard of this movie. Have I? Yes, I have seen it. Okay, cool. well, I have cool. seen this. What, okay, so I guess I'm the weirdo. Um, yeah, Ariel introduced me no. to this. Okay, it is very Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It was definitely, it definitely comes after Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Definitely influenced, but like obviously an attempt at like a more adult thing. But I really wanted to see this movie, and. That was one that was like a hard line now. But then there was a movie. Kim Basinger. Yeah, Kim Basinger's in it. Um, then I think there's a movie around the same time, uh, like a action drama that's pretty grown up called Ricochet that my parents totally let me watch. Mm. <laughs> so in my head, I was like, well, why can't I watch the half cartoon movie? What was your uh, first rated R uh, we, uh, that was a big thing for me. I mean, oh, I wasn't. I wasn't. Gore. I was neglected, so it was like, like there wasn't a lot of control over what I could get my hands on, which was just basic TV without cable most of the time, and whatever VHS tapes my dad had in the closet that he had pirated. So I would just go in there and, off of name alone, choose a movie, and that's how I saw Labyrinth, which I. Assumed was going to be about the Minotaur. I get the movies from Nikos. <laughs> My dad loves to pirate movies, man. And then he totally just went with it when we went over to DVDs, man. He was burning that shit like yeah. to a degree that it was like, you're not even watching the movies. You're just like, gotta rent them. He would 
rent it from the library, but so it was even cheaper. I will have old movies. But if there was a movie I wanted that, like, I wanted them to get, or like, I wanted to like be allowed to go see, or something like this, and I had to ask them, like, yeah, they were only like gatekeeping no, about like things I think they thought were sexy but it was very like they didn't have any kind of like cohesive like we're parents and we're like trying to like raise children like this is not part of their identity uh, in their own heads. <laughs> Marlo do you have a first rated R? Uh, I think it was uh, Air Force One like I think a lot of my friends and me were all just allowed to watch Air Force One because like our parents saw it and were like oh this is fine but it was technically rated R so it counts yeah mine was Speed yeah, okay. Which uh, is also one of those that was fine, yeah. but it was technically rated R. Cause like, yeah, because they say fuck a bit. Like, and violence. Yeah, but not really. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I probably saw Speed Cut kind of Young, too. Well, um, I mean, you know, the MPAA is just like... Yes, I saw this movie is not yet rated. I just, I just love how if you bring up anything that Marlo like knows the reference yeah. from, he acts like there's no value yeah. in it whatsoever. Yeah. But he like got, he establishes that else. he knows the thing. It's like I'm just like yes, okay. It's very know. like wah wah. <laughs> like, all well, right, I dude. didn't say there was no value in it. I, well, okay. Yes, we all know <laughs> about. Soaking, yes, we all, it's old news. We all know about the Mormons soaking their penises. Oh, well, I don't, I mean, I think this vaginas. this thing is made up. The, the jump pump? The jump pumping is. Okay. <laughs> it's yeah. one of the greatest things, I mean, though. of course, soaking is Mormon teens just putting penis in vagina and laying there with no friction because it's like technically not because doing it. What, and then if jump pumping is someone jumping on the bed to, to like create the friction, but they're not technically doing it, so like God's cool <laughs> with it. I think the rationality is it's something someone else made up that they don't actually do. Yeah, I mean that is my like yeah, uh, intuition like, over it. <laughs> that, that, that's um, like, I'm just curious who uh, who it was. Like I want like an origin orthodox. story, like uh, that 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 God is needs there to be friction in order for it to be a sin or something. I was trying... I mean, it's like, it's like ultra-Orthodox Jews fucking through a hole in the sheet. It's... It's something the weirdo religious people did that we can say they did because they're weirdo religious. Yeah, I mean, and who made that up? Less religious Jews who live close to ultra-Orthodox Jews. So, I would guess it's just normal Christians from Utah who are like, yeah, those fucking people I have to deal with all day. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I mean, the, the funny they tweet... They probably do weird sex shit. The funny tweet was the, the lady jumping on the bed. Yeah, the well, yeah, I was like... Uh, when she was... I believe the caption was, like, like when your bestie needs you to jump hump for her. <laughs> or, like... Everyone gets so caught up with the Mormon teens and their weird, like trying to get around sex rules and I want to know about all the canning they're doing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All the Mor preserving food. Particularly weird about sex over other religious groups that are like weird about sex. Oh, I wouldn't say that actually. I mean just knowing did you know Mormons? I've known Mormons not as an adult, but I've known I, I Did have. you did you know Mormon teens? 
teenagers when you were a teenager and it was like a thing? <laughs> it was like a very uh, burning question on your loins. I knew like a <laughs> Mormon teenager who generally just was dismissed as one of those Christians who wasn't cool and... Uh, oh, I would... The Mormons I grew up around, they went to temple, like, almost every morning, um, had really... Like, they were separate. You would not have easily conflated them with other, like, kind of super Christian-y people. Uh, they were pretty distinct, at least. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, the people I knew like... who kept up the most insane lies about... Not having sex, we're Mormons. <laughs> Tell me something. And I didn't of these live in lies. a particularly Mormon area. Yeah, this was just Mormons just, in Baltimore. There was a lot of like Southern Baptists where I grew up. So, well, I mean, for the North, there were a lot of Southern Baptists where I grew up. Uh, so, or just like Evangelical Methodists. So, like, there were like a lot of just, they were a notable tenth of our school that were just, whatever their their thing and you know whatever and there was like a mormon family that literally 10 different grades had a sibling of theirs in and uh yeah just they all hung out together i don't know our all our mormons were uh all pretty ethnic too though it was really there was like two large black families of mormons and then one uh-huh. of uh older white Mormon gentleman and his gorgeous, gorgeous Asian wife. <laughs> and all the kids were very hot. And let me tell you, it was super hard <laughs> on them. <laughs> because everybody like totally wanted to bone all of them. Like the boys, the girls, like whatever. And they were, I knew of course the girls, but like from what I could tell, um, the boys in the family had a hard time dealing with the urges. The urges, but also the female attention, mm. uh, just because, like, you know, these aren't Mormons who are isolated in Utah or in a place where, uh, though several of them did go to BYU, mm-hmm. uh, did go on to BYU. But um, they, so they're just, you know, going to a high school with a lot of other people who aren't upholding, especially a private, these private high schools where uh, the girls could be quite aggressive. <laughs> So, um, hot Mormons, we need to, uh, but yeah, yeah, it's something uh, people aren't talking enough about not, is hot cornering, Mormons. We're cornering this market. I do know, I do, I do know a few, uh, hot ex Mormons, uh, people who grew up Mormon who are, I gotta say, yeah, who's hotter, the ex Mormons or the current, the ex Mormons for oh, sure. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, no also, I gotta say, anymore. as much as I can, like, have this horrible voyeurism about Mormonism, uh, Mormons, uh, some of the nicest goddamn people I've ever <laughs> met. <laughs> Like, even when I've, like, been like, yeah, yeah, with your angel Maroni. <laughs> yeah, no, no, Mormons are, no, Mormons are, I would say the thing that singles them out among other very conservative, evangelical-oriented Christians is kind of a sense of self-awareness. I, I would defend that. Like, they kind of do know that it all sounds a little silly, and they're 
just fine with that. And I find that refreshing. Well, yeah. And then there are those who are, you know, it's like, well, I mean, these are my people. That's where I come from. Yeah, whatever. Uh, and, and it is fascinating American history. Like, yeah, it is like, super, super fascinating. An, especially among the older white families, it's enough of like an ethno-religious like identity that you can kind of not care about the religion that much and well, yeah, still they, just work a fun within thing, the culture. Yeah, a fun thing that Mormons do culturally is uh, they love to pick like a ton of batshit names. Like, uh, like Mitt. What's funny is that they have a lot of batshit names and similarly, the new age version of Mormonism in my eyes, Scientology, uh, also has a, a thing for, like they both have a thing about unique names or like well, there's a high cachet on unique names. Um, they well, come at it from different angles, of course. Right. Mormons do a like pseudo like Simultaneously, it's new, but it like sounds old timey in some way. Jurethalus. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. No. No. Something like that. And then you know some of your Kaylees with like the long spellings originated with Mormons. Right. Yeah. No. The well, the thing that really got cut short with Mormons being forced to sort of be normal, and also a lot of their leaders got murdered, um, was the whole effort to make a made-up language that the Moroni spoke that Joseph Smith somehow got inspired to know how to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's my kind of speculative future idea of Mormons, like, rising up in the Midwest is they'd invent their own, like, desert language, which would just be kind of bad Hebrew and a mix of their made-up words. I, my favorite fact about the Book of Mormon is that um, if you ran it through like a plagiarism check, <laughs> it'd be like, oh no. <laughs> there are well, whole chunks of this verbatim almost. Well, my, uh, my favorite thing is the uh, scroll of Abraham, mm-hmm. which is actually where you get most of the weird shit. Uh, like Kolob and uh, the you know planet that God is from, and the yeah. whole idea that after you die, you get to be your own god of your own fucking planet, and all, all that shit's not in the Book of Mormon. It's in mm-hmm. the Scroll of Abraham, and the story of the Scroll of Abraham is um, this traveling salesman came through town and was like, hey, I have this papyrus from Egypt. And (laughs) someone in town was like, oh, well, there's this dude who, like, just translated these fucking things. Yo, talk to Joe. Yeah. No, exactly. My friend Joe over there. Yeah, he apparently, he found some magic stones, gave him God's vision. Yo, talk to my friend Joe over there. He just got back from uh, getting uh, quitted for scamming people. Uh, He's looking, he's in the market. He's in the the business. Why are we old-timey gangsters? Because it was northern New York where this started. And what did old-timey gangsters do? They went to... Saratoga why I, to gamble. Why I wanna? Right. Why I? Yeah. Wanna. This is totally based on guys and dolls, uh, like, and not an actual uh, sense of history in this moment. I'm just yeah, like, yeah. So anyway, so they gave it to Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith translates it. Oh, this is so interesting. It is a uh, scroll from, like, written by Abraham about you know sometime where he was searching for the Holy Land or whatever the fuck. Um, and it gave all these... Re- Dear 
slavery. Revelations of God. Yeah, pretty much. It gave like all these oh, revelations boy. of God. Still blah, searching. blah, blah. Yo, I'm on, I'm in the desert. I'm searching around Guess here. Guess what? Day whatever. Desert Day again. 420. The thing that it marks <laughs> the scroll of Abraham as different from the Book of Mormon is we actually have a copy of the original scroll of Abraham. And we also now can read hieroglyphics and we actually know what the scroll of Abraham said. And it didn't say all of that. <laughs> like, it was, it's a uh, funerary scroll that is very typically found in tombs of a certain era that basically give the death rites and like describe what the afterlife is like for the Pharaoh, blah, blah, blah. Um, and like give some incantations and prayers. And it's like found all over the place. It's pretty typical. It would make sense that someone would end up with it. And So Joseph Smith was just like, yeah, I'm just going to do a creative writing exercise. Yeah, like you could go through it. It's like a, the guy he said was Abraham is actually Osiris. Um, like there, there's, you can literally go through it because we can actually read the document document like and we've read the document many times before because we find these all over the fucking place and that's uh that's my favorite little more why i want to just scam another the lds position on it is uh the book of mormon is obviously more important and this is also canonical but also we're not going to answer questions about it which i think is a fine position to take for a church yeah, I, yeah, it is a fine position to take for a church. Uh, speaking of which, that was one of the things that was uh, banned from... Well, my parents screened South Park before deciding whether or not I could watch it. Uh, it took a while for me to watch South Park. And, then, and it really took me just watching it and finding specific episodes that I'm like, okay, my mom would actually find this hilarious. Well, and my parents watched it and were like, you're not watching this. How could anybody find this funny? Yeah, no, I, I screened for my mom and then my mom watched the episodes and it's like, yeah, okay, well, this is really funny. I mean, my parents don't like cursing yeah. and... yeah. That's the Protestantism. Yeah, you're the Protestant. The waspy, uh, repressed feeling of guilt when you say a naughty word in your head. And then you go back into your head and you shun yourself for thinking that naughty thought. And then you are like, why does anybody curse in public? But yeah. So, Book of Mormon, that really went to war with the Mormons though, right? No, no, not not really. really. It was, no, the, the a Mor- lot of Mormons appreciated it. The Mormons generally had positive reviews, and I never saw it. When I, you, it was excellent. Yeah, it was very good. When Matt and Trey were interviewed about it, they were they're like, "Are you surprised by the positive response from Mormons?" And we were like, "Absolutely not. We know Mormons, and yeah, they we knew they would find this funny for the most part. I, Mormons like know they're kind of is that part of the self awareness? Yeah, no, it is. They they know they're a little goofy they granted this is a little bit of a pod save take but there is a whole thing about how there was um are you john right now yeah i'm a john but um there was a whole thing about how harry reed was able to kind of put together this democrat republican mormon coalition on like gay marriage just because on gay marriage and also on the something to do with muslims just because he was able to sort of speak to this history 
history of repression for their religion and identity and stuff that does kind of resonate among them, even while they're mostly themselves repressive, in-power, chauvinist douchebags. You know, they're not one-dimensional, I'll I'll say that much. Unlike those other people. Yeah, those other... large swaths of people. Those other uh, cartoon people in movies that Bunny's not allowed to watch. I know, man. Unlike Methodists, who are all the same. Actually, the movie I mentioned, Ricochet, that might have been my first R-rated movie, because... I can say... uh, Denzel's in it. I can say first boobs are Godfather 1, which is an extremely specific one. Mm Mm-hmm. I can't think of first boobs. And then I think, like, Starship Troopers, maybe, which is what I say about, like, Verhoeven's desexualization uh, thing, where it's like, you you don't even really notice the boobs. <laughs> They're just there. Yeah, the I always was fascinated by the nonchalantness of the gender-neutral ne- showering. Yeah, scene. no, and he does, it, he does it as well in Robocop. I, now that I think about it, the first, like like, sexy movie, because I don't even think Ricochet had, like, uh, the first, like, sex movie that I watched, like, surreptitiously, like, at a sleepover. I think it was Sex, Lies, and Videotape, (laughs) which I, for years, I did not know what this movie was called. I just only knew Peter Gallagher from this movie, and it, honestly, it was, like, it creeped me out, because I was, like, in fourth or fifth grade, and I yeah. was, and I played it cool, like, yeah, I'm totally, this is like, yeah, cool movie to watch, <laughs> everybody. And I was like, oh, man, like. <laughs> what the fuck are they talking about? I was just like, they're doing weird stuff to each other. Not even like sex stuff. Like, I didn't like that they were like, I didn't understand the plot, but I was like, they're not being nice to each other. They're like doing some weird tricking each other with the videotape. This is giving me terrible vibes. And Peter Gallagher's face for many years was an anti-horny. Mm. I'd say like yeah, served as like the opposite of a spank bank. Even though I generally like a, a full-lipped man. <laughs> I don't know. It's just like... You closed your eyes when you were trying to like repress the urge to be horny. You were like, oh man. No, it's more like I would be wanting to be horny and it would be like, here's an intrusive thought. <laughs> this guy... <laughs> Most people go to the thought of their parents dying. You go, uh... Remember that movie? Remember that movie? Cool movies to watch that were, like, whatever, were, like, scary movies, which, uh, same house, I did watch one that... It wasn't called Urban Legends. Like, it wasn't that movie that came later with the Noxzema Girl. It was a lesser-known movie, but it was all, like, kind of urban legends. But there were these monsters who, like, came out of the toilet... And they were very scary. And for years, Not I would check vents. I would check vents. No, but I mean, they were in the same. Dreamcatcher was aliens that went into the Into toilet. your butt. The slugs that came out of the toilet and into your butt. Yeah. 
No, they went out of your butt and into the toilet. Yeah, what's fun about when you... Oh, the, yeah. Of course, again, we're talking about Stephen King's Dreamcatcher. <laughs> the, 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 the movie that the everybody's movie seen. The movie that everybody's yeah, seen. The, okay, uh, actually, yeah. If you haven't seen this movie, <laughs> this was not an episode about Dreamcatcher, but we could make it one. Um, <laughs> it's, if you haven't seen that movie, uh, you must. It's wonderful. I, I also liked the book. Uh, it's one of the shorter ones. Um, and he goes into great detail about the sort of gastrointestinal distress the okay. aliens cause. No, because this was the thing I, I was asking, like, was there a calm town on Dreamcatcher? And I don't think there was, and god damn. It's a movie about an alien that, like, makes you shit yourself to death. And, and, and Morgan, uh, a Fre- Morgan Freeman uh, is an evil general who wants to nuke the area to stop everyone from shitting themselves to death. But also there's, like, a plague going around because all the animals catch it, and so they have to, oh, quarant- right, right, they have yeah. to quarantine it. Yeah, we, we don't need to do a whole description, but, like, that's... A plot point, and also like a specially abled person who turns out to be magical and psychic. Um, Mr. Gay, Mr. Gay ends up saving the day, and it's a similar thing to it, where it's like all these kids experience the thing as children together, and now they're together again, and they gotta like close the loop or whatever the fuck. I don't really remember, but. The alien makes you shit yourself to death. Morgan Freeman wants to nuke the area to stop people from shitting themselves to death, and a magical special person saves everyone. Like, ah, it's all there And there's a mind palace, one of the first mind palace scenes where the alien's going through the confines of one of the characters' minds to get one of the secrets that's been repressed. Yeah. The theme of this episode is repression. Yeah, the the okay, so I guess this might And have you know what been, what I've repressed actually, yeah. that Tom Sizemore's in that movie. The one no, no. I don't Sizemore. Know who Tom, Tom, Tom Sizemore, Sizemore is he's the person who uh, put out the Paris Hilton sex tape. Okay. All right. Uh, he a notorious abuser of uh, every woman he's dated. Okay, so pirate this movie. Don't actually financially support it. Oh, uh, is he the redhead in the movie? The the weird one that gets infected with the. No, that's yeah, Damian he, Lewis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jason Lee's in it. Is mm-hmm. he? I and mean, Oliphant's in it, you know? No. We always have Oliphant. Yeah, but anyway. So also Tom James. This does feel James. like a thing that Stephen King's coke-addled mind could have, like, put some Freud that he read together in a sequence to come up with the idea that the alien both makes you shit yourself to death and this, is psychic. I just want to be clear. This is written um, uh, more than 15 years after Stephen King has been sober. So okay, just, well, yeah. fine. I guess that's his problem. <laughs> that, there's no excuse for this. Uh, look, he is so prolific that it's just like... And prolific just means it's a lot, okay? It doesn't mean anything about the quality. He's just cranking him out of his own... Not even like to make money just because he's got to do it. It's He's a compulsive writer. And some of them, they just go where they go and that's it. it this this <laughs> like, movie is amazing the where, uh, where it goes. Yeah. But yeah, like Stephen King often... Um, especially in the post-sobriety years, uh, relies a lot on his dreams for inspiration. And he will sometimes follow an image from a dream just 
and that that's that. <laughs> like, who cares about it being a satisfying ending to this story? It's like, uh, I mean, he is, to his credit, one of the people with an identifiable process that he's quite open about. Oh, yeah, I love Stephen King. I, I think other writers who write less, who where everything is amazing, great, good for them, uh, I'd much rather uh, enjoy uh, Stephen King's work. He does rely heavily on the tropes of a magical, especially abled person and the magical black person. And magical child. But All the special people of yeah. society. And sometimes two of those categories in one. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, yeah. most of the time. Yeah. Uh, no, like uh, Green Mile. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. Stephen King has themes. Yes. Uh, I saw, was it The Outsider? The show? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I didn't see that one. This is good, but. Well, yes, he does hit on similar themes. I quite enjoy his non horror work a whole lot. I kind of want to do with movies and TV to Kurt Vonnegut what's been done to Stephen King. Just like make them all into something. Oh, just go through Kurt Vonnegut's entire yeah, literary collection. Yeah, including the shit from like the late 50s that was all just him ripping off Twilight Zone scripts and writing short stories. Oh, Vonnie boy. Yeah. Well, you should just add it to the Marvel universe. Yeah. Sure. That's how it'll get made. <laughs> They'll oh, do, it'll man. be uh, the sequel to uh, the the most recent Space Jam. <laughs> Space Jam 3, Kurt Vonnegut. Kilgore Trout has to sell some erotic uh, <laughs> science fiction story <laughs> that he wrote. And Bugs Bunny helps. <laughs> and Bugs Bunny would help. Like the jerk-off monsters from the future. The slaughterhouse jams. Yeah, no, it'll just, uh, I don't know, it'll be like... Um, I've only read Slaughterhouse 5. Oh, really? Yeah, I yeah. was never a big Vonnegut fan. Yeah, I know you never were, and then you just like read Slaughterhouse 5 on me, and you're talking about Slaughterhouse 5, and I'm like, okay, oh. God. Like, I went through this phase when I was in my early 20s. I read it before. You it were, was like, just, I, doing? I yeah, reread then, it. Yeah, I read it, and then I read like, uh, yeah, all, well, a good chunk of his other shit. Yeah. A lot of it, which is uh, pretty good. I had to read it for a class as yeah, an example of fatalism. Yeah, I feel like I I only read it in the context of class. Like, has no one here... That was one of the best. Has no one here, like, read, like, Cat's Cry at all? Nope. Or, God damn, Breakfast of Champ... God damn it. Breakfast of Champions is I've good. been told about these books and Bre- that I Breakfast should read it. Breakfast of Champions is... Yeah, it's a quick read. It's decent. Uh, that's what I would... If you just ask me for one. No, I spent my days reading uh, Hemingway and Sartre and Camus. Yeah. Those all together formed my non-Vonnegut reading. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I want some existential bullshit thrown into my veins. Marlo's pouring a drink, which she can hear. Oh, well, it was a peace offering to you saying Hemingway. <laughs> Communist, hunted by the CIA. Mm-hmm. R.I.P. to a real one. Yep. Hemingway. He's one of the few people that... Uh, I love your app. He's one of the few people that was that was like, yeah, I'm being surveilled all the time, and people are stalking me, and there's a giant conspiracy to try to like ruin my life, 
and then he killed himself because he was paranoid about that. But then it turned out his paranoia was completely justified. Yeah, well, to that I would uh, mention Lacan and say that even the jealous husband who is correct that his wife is having affairs is still a neurotic, jealous husband. Yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm a writer expatriate of the United States, and I think that U.S. intelligence services are looking at me. I'm so prescient. Yeah, yeah, obviously they are. Like, yes, we do that. Also, you wanted to kill yourself, and, you know... You justified it retrospectively. Yeah, sure, whatever. Why not see where it's going? What, you mean post-Spanish Civil War? Okay. It only goes downhill. <laughs> What year did he die? It was twenty six. I don't know. Actually, that's a good question. What did actually, he? You know, what did he miss out? Yeah, no, he died in Cuba, though. He died Please. in Indiana. Oh, yeah. and he died in nineteen sixty one. Yeah, I was like, he survived World War Two. You know what? I thought he cobained it. God damn. He had that place in Key West where he had all the cats. And yeah. Then he went to Cuba. And then it's when he started getting like government conspiracy yeah. theory. But he was in an accident or something too. Like, yeah, I mean whatever. So not like Pollock though, who died in an accident. Also a communist. Died of being cool. Yep. Also paid by the CIA for his art. Yep. But also a card carrying communist. Yeah, CIA is deep like that. <laughs> It's because the only real communism is Marxism-Leninism, Stephen. <laughs> None of this U.S. None of this United Western fucking bullshit Eurocop shit. Well, I guess they actually were <laughs> Marxist-Leninists. Oh, fucking no. Whatever. It was all postmodern and stupid and uh, counter-revolutionary and anti-materialist. True facts. <laughs> all those things are true of all of Pollock's work. Because otherwise I'd have to devote some time to either understanding it or just being okay with like it being something that I don't care about and isn't a part of my life. I did like the movie made about him. Did anybody see the movie, the biopic? No. Ed Harris plays uh, Pollock. Oh yeah, I have seen that movie. And I like the scenes where they show him swinging from like a, a swing set over yeah, top yeah, of yeah, his... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I know the scene. Or just like the Life magazine photo or whatever the fuck. Yeah. Um, I like Pollock painting. There's a big one. MoMA, I saw it. There is a big one at MoMA. Speaking of museums, you know, the new Rihanna underwear show. (laughs) She filmed, it was in the Guggenheim. Yeah. And they filmed it like with a drone camera like in the Guggenheim. It's an endless walkway, Stephen. I know, it's so cool. It's a... Yeah, but it's a a runway for a fashion show, so it's like an endless runway. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's the biggest runway in all of his... I don't know if... It sounds like really annoying to be a runway. Is it going down or going up? Well, I don't know if you're like... uh, uh, what Rihanna does for her lingerie line, Savage X Fenty. Every time she puts out whatever, it's like a show. So it's not like a traditional fashion show in the first place, but it does both serve to show this underwear she has for people to buy. And uh, I mean, it's cool. You know, a lot of uh, also 
body inclusivity. And I will say Rihanna does it in a way where it's like, I don't know, uh, where you're, you're, you buy it. It's real. Like, <laughs> like it's authentically. She sprinkles them in. Well, it's. Wait, what does she sprinkle in? Body inclusivity. Well, yeah, yeah. As you walked by, you saw a sprinkling of it. Uh, I don't want people to get the impression that Marla watched this with what? me. <laughs> no, I, I was simply translating what you were saying. I was, I, I did see like bits and pieces well, of it as I walked by, and it seemed fine. Yeah, yeah, no. So in a <laughs> traditional fashion sense, there's not like when people are have diversity, it just means there's some non-white people but Rihanna is uh, quite known for like having uh, different kinds of bodies and etc but um, I think it's good for what it is Um, but it was just this like swirly thing at the Guggenheim filmed on like flying drones (laughs) and I I did say some of it I thought it was fun but yeah, uh, well, and the existence of Fenty did um, essentially weirdly bankrupt Victoria's Secret nearly. And now they're like, I guess we'll show different kinds of people a little bit too. Yeah. That's how the free market works, baby. Rihanna. Yeah, you need one independently wealthy, influential, gorgeous savant superstar to just do what she wants in a certain space. That's and the free then, market. Uh, that yeah, is, that that's is. what Ayn Rand wanted, I think. I think that's what uh, yeah. Atlas Shrugs is about. Atlas Shrugs is about is it's the about Rihanna, Rihanna story. <laughs> Atlas Shrugged. <laughs> Rihanna Shrugged. Rihanna, <laughs> Rihanna Shrugged. <laughs> Under Ayn Rand's umbrella. I just I love, love also how displeased Ayn Rand would be at me saying that. In my imagination. Like dead in the ground, rolling yeah. over her, in her grave. The ghost of Ayn Rand that a, is always with me. You're setting an evil eye on, so, on Ayn Rand. It's well, Ayn Rand's uncle. dead. She died on the dole. Uh, <laughs> and I say it every night to her when I uh, do my prayers. <laughs> like, good night, ghosts who follow me around, including Ayn Rand. I wonder um, if we could get us started where we do the say Ayn Rand in front of a mirror three times and she appears get that going for the next generation for the, yeah because I think there was another one that came along after whatever we grew up right hmm? Bloody, Bloody Mary. Mary Bloody Mary wasn't or, there isn't there another variation that the kids came up with like always been a bunch of variations of it and I'm saying we need Ayn Rand to be this. I think we should just make them sing the first verse of Red Berchetta. Yeah, yeah. The the Rush song, uh, which is about a dystopian universe where they outlaw driving fast cars. Yeah. <laughs> but his <laughs> uncle has a place. But his uncle has a place that he goes, and then he's got a Red Barchetta that he's been hiding, and then... Neil Pert goes on a ride really fast and beats the cops, I guess, of the Ayn Randian government. <sighs> Remember Paul Ryan saying that was his favorite book? Yeah, he loves Ayn Rand. It's Willow. Oh, yeah, and then he had to it's like, kind Pe- of walk it back because he found out how unchristian Ayn Rand was. Yeah, she was like a hardcore atheist. Super atheist. If not like one of the most famous atheists of the 20th century. 
the main part of her thing, and she kind of... And quite a few of her objectivist points were like, even the kind of Christian that uh, Paul Ryan pretends to be. They're very counter to... to to To, uh, you know. I mean, yeah, like, she basically has this shallowly Nietzschean idea that, oh yeah, Christian introduces like the stupid slave morality that makes us help the weak and really the strong should dominate the weak. Like is the extent of her kind of analysis of Christianity and Nietzsche. Um, Which is why CEOs should take over the world. Yeah, yeah, no, pretty much. That's like her thesis, right? Is that CEO? Well, you, you need to be the CEO. Well, that the that yeah, there's an innovator class that's yeah, doing all of the hard mental work of society, and then there's moochers who are dependent on these great innovative minds. Yeah. So, like, um, you know, and with by their one day, one day, all these these innovators, they could be like, you know what, we're stuck. We're gonna go on strike. Wait, I mean, we're gonna, you know. <laughs> It's it's like essentially like communism among uh, the, the CEOs bourgeois. of the world. It's like if Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk were like, let's band together and stop doing whatever we're doing arbitrarily to sh- teach people a lesson. I think that's the. <laughs> The overall. Oh no, I'm so sad. My girlfriend left me. Oh, I'm so sad. But what Iran never explains is like, what if you're like, oh my gosh, I read these books and so compelled, but like, I'm a moocher. <laughs> like, she doesn't give you, you know what I mean? It like assumes everyone who who comes across the material is themselves the the innovator. Yeah, it's an elitist philosophy that's meant to be consumed populistly. And that kind of introduces an internal contradiction that uh, statistically necessarily views its ideal amount of followers to mostly be bad people. But also, doesn't that speak to a kind of self-help universe yeah, yeah, where, yeah, yeah. where that's we, where you could almost classify you know, it more as a self-help than as a uh, like a Jordan Peterson where oh, absolutely, it is, yeah. and where that is yeah, where but that's absolutely what it is because academically respected as a philosophy by people like Nozick who are right-wing libertarian philosophers who are respected in philosophy circles himself thinks Ayn Rand is a crank and most other serious philosophers regardless of their political stance tend to think of Ayn Rand as a crank for a reason and don't take her seriously as a philosopher. It's, the reason being is that she's just a woman who had PTSD who somehow was able to write these books. Like just this quote-unquote philosophy informed by her undealt with uh, trauma what did she have from, from escaping the her, Bolsheviks her taking over. Her dad was a dentist. Yes, they did take like his, his stuff, Marlo's but they doing a jerking off took, movement. Yes, yeah, I'm not disagreeing with you, but I'm saying like someone can be have a personal trauma due to something uh, that you can have a macro view of politically. It, they can be two different things. I'm just saying this woman had a trauma and it 
justified this bat shit. I really love the parts of objectivism, is what she calls it, uh, that are so extreme that they justify murder and things like this. She she apparently actually wanted to call it existentialism, but that was taken. It was taken, yeah. Um, you, you were second in line to the... <laughs> right? Like, I'll hand it to her, but... Um, the publishing rights. You, you were standing outside of the... Yeah, I, I don't know. As the old expression goes, the only bad thing the Bolsheviks did was teach Ayn Rand how to read. Yeah, I mean, it's basically, she's like, I wrote these books because these people were mean to my daddy and it was not fair. And I've like turned it into an egregiously long, dull tome that some dullards really like. I'm going to form into a cult of personality to bang 20 somethings. Yes. Well, to bang guys who are almost 30 years my junior, uh, who I do marry. Which, as we all know, Bunny has a, can relate. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's well, that's no, what she's no, done. She also just, well, the other great thing is like all the objectivist mailers while Ayn Rand was alive were just kind of reflections of how their relationship was going. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. That's the saddest part about this woman is that she was like. She formed a cult, but was kind of too sad to take it to the so extreme sad. she needed Oh my God. To. She was not. It like, was a very Jewish thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> to discuss the Judaism of Ayn Rand, it would be forming a cult and then just being kind of too depressed to really cash in on it or extract the most amount of sexual favors from your followers. Like, she clearly wanted to. No, she would get fixated on these men and, like, she would get, like... Stalkery? Even though she had this cult of personality around her, she was kind of, like, pathetically, like... Simping. Oh, like, yeah, you know... Almost the vibe of someone who's dating a guy who's suddenly like, yeah, I think we should try like ethical non-monogamy right now. And she's like, it's a great idea. Yeah. It's almost like... You know, you you look at at the time, I mean, yeah, you look at Nozick, uh, who you would think, okay, might be an ideological or somehow natural ally, and no. You look at the founding fathers of the American Libertarian Party, None of them liked her or them. Like, they were just kind of always weirdos. And as a philosophy, it really did require her to die so it was no longer a cult. But then it became a cult in her absence. Well, yeah, I mean, which like... Is the better form of a cult. You know, it, it has never and will never get the respect from any sort of academic philosopher. It's like the Lyndon LaRoucheites that still exist. Yeah, it's slightly more respectable than them, but yeah. What? Objectivism? I guess you're right. I guess objectivism is, is slightly more... better than let's put all the people with AIDS on an island. I don't know which island. <laughs> which yeah. is a Lyndon LaRouche idea. Like... It's my favorite. He's just no, like no, my favorite is because he, he lays out why it would be such a great idea. But like my the, favorite the, one like, well, is one? the changing the tonal pitch of like oh, yeah, the, the A down like two 
notches or whatever to make it easier for opera singers to sing. <laughs> he yeah. was yeah, really there in was favor. This, like really and, like, particular th- argument that was happening in a very certain circle, and Larouche heard about it and he made it a thing for he a while. He wanted to change it from like 440 hertz to like 435 or something and then Pavarotti signed on to it all these yeah, like 500 yeah, he got, opera singers he got were like a bunch of opera singers on his he, he took up an issue well, of it, the just cuz someone's crazy doesn't mean they don't sometimes have a good idea no this was a great idea and he got a lot more support than most of his other ideas yeah. which it's unfortunate when it happens, but it does happen that sometimes. But there's still LaRoucheites out I know, there. there are. They, awesome. I haven't been on a college campus in a long time, but I feel like they're still around. In California. They oh, would yeah, come they, to Maryland they, all the time. They, were were in, right outside they, they have a huge presence in D.C. Yeah. So. yeah I'd say yeah, one of their biggest presents I've ever seen. Them well, I would be DC. like, sometimes I would be like, I'd look at this guy who'd have this Lyndon LaRouche literature and I'd be like, what happened? Because <laughs> like, sometimes it wouldn't, you know, you'd be like, you look normal until I got closer and saw that you were standing by this table. Uh, well, that, that reminds me of, um, there's a, very active I mean you know a couple hundred members but there's a very active American Hojist party Hojism being like uh, the communist party of Albania I think I want to. Oh God, this is going to. It's a bit be, of Albanian trivia. I don't be know. This is going to be bad if I don't get Look this at, right. She's so. feeling outmatched by her Balkan knowledge. Well, I'm mostly focused on, as we know. Yes, Albania. Al- okay. Albanians okay. Thank. Okay. No, seriously, because if you like gun to my head and are like Albania or Armenia, I'm gonna get like super scared, and I didn't. And then, like, and then get, you're like, and then a little voice goes, "What about Azerbaijan?" Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't because I could never forget the winners. Uh, oh Jesus! The, there's this American communist group that models itself on the post-death of Stalin uh, Albanian Communist Party, and it's an active group in the United States today, and mostly populated by not 80-year-old Albanians. And it's just kind of weird where it's like, why would you join this group and not any other group? Well, I feel that same way about Posadism. Yeah, but like with Posadism, you can at the very there's least see there's space something. Space dolphins and yeah, shit. There's something funny well, and fun and cool. And maybe you have a level of irony about it. Or maybe you don't. Or maybe you started with a level of irony, but then you like actually looked into it and are like, oh, actually, I agree with its interpretation of Trotskyism. I don't fucking know. But like. Like, I can see Posadas. You can't see. What's the other one? Hosadas? Hojaism. Um, Hojaism. Yeah. Ojaism. Oh, yeah. Uh, pff, that's different. That's a uh, different oh, form of communism. Ojaism. That's oh, boy. Like, even the Hojas party itself is just very much, like, concerned with the international position of Albania during the Sino-Soviet split. And it's just like, you can't possibly care, man. Like, you can't possibly give a shit about that. You don't know people, though. I mean, the Soviet Union needs to exist 
as a predicate for any of this to matter. Anyway, that's how I feel about LaRouche. Um, or it's just like, you could be weird in a different way. I'm just always curious about something like this where I'm like, because I mean, you know, I've come across things that I'm like, I could see I could have fallen for that. Like, okay, when I watched uh, the Nexium cult, right? I was like, if I was somehow on a TV show, like I was already like doing okay mm-hmm. in this whatever, and this person who's running a cult like fixates on me in in a way where I'm like, yeah, I think I was feeling lost, Ariel you know? Got- like I'm like I'm like, yeah, just because of the, um, especially that one because they did hit that like neuro-linguistic programming stuff like where it's like they were stuff that was also sometimes having like positive therapeutic outcomes for them in these little ways but could also use to make people feel... I think Ariel got approached by two people trying to recruit her in the same day like blocks away from each other for that cult. Yeah, it was pretty active. Like Uh, in, I think, Midtown... Yeah, was active here for a minute. She did not join. Yeah, I. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I guess you know something that's like, especially if there's something where they like learn some tools, quote unquote, and then like uh, apply yeah. the tools, and it like, oh, like I, I can see how something like that can be and feel compelling, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I but, definitely. But then I'm like, what is, what is like a Lyndon LaRouche? What is it given yet? Like, what is the, you know, like. Isn't the big thing like carbon, like there's some like wedge well, there's issue. Like peak oil is a common conspiracy theory that's tangential to LaRouche. What is it? Peak oil? Yeah. And I forget exactly what it means. I know it has to do with us like extracting the most oil we'll ever extract and like after that point like some change in foreign and or domestic policy must take place or something I I, I don't remember. Also LaRouche was very predicated on the Soviet Union existing Yeah. Until the Soviet Union didn't exist and then he went to Russia. He did continue to survive and say things but also, it's like, I don't know. I mean, it just there's an old style of crank, and he kind of got behind the times, frankly. Like, he, he just... See, going back to what Bunny said, I also wrestle with this question, having worked for the Falun Gong. Approaching the, the table and... S- I mean, that sounds easy, honestly, with the Falun Gong. Yeah, I mean, it's also like... It's a meditative call. Like. No, but like the the initial outreach is never, not always like that, at least with the table set up. It's just pictures of like tortured Falun Gong members in China. Yeah, but isn't a lot of their outreach also like, oh yeah, we're kind of a yoga-ish thing? Yeah. Well, it's... it's Dancing. It's kind of like Tai Chi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So... Like, we're a Tai Chi-like thing, and, like, this is good and healthy and based on old wisdom and blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah, it's based on working that ball of energy that lives in the center of your (laughs) energy centers. And... uh, Stretching it out, making it small and big. They didn't make it up. And, uh, yeah. But, yeah, it is. There's things that are yoga, that are yoga, that get culty. There was a recent, like, uh, like especially kundalini people in general, you know, because 
they really go for it in terms of like heightened states of of feeling with the yoga. It's not just like a nice uh, peaceful meditation or a stretchy workout. It's like let's really fucking I also, lose our minds a little bit. I also bit. feel like <laughs> that having like there's a real fitness instructor uh, like cult kind well, of. Well, there's something like. Yeah, I think there's something about that, like, like the inst- listen to me and don't listen to yourself. Like the Instagram which is, fitness instructor. Yeah, like, keep going. It doesn't matter that it hurt. It, especially in the Nexium cult, uh, like, there was a lot of, like, control of, like, what they were eating well, and the women. What I was going to say next is the nutritionists <laughs> are also tangentially very culty. The and, and the third one that I noticed are the karate people. People that do um, like jujitsu. I went to a Brazilian jujitsu class once, and that was super culty. So I will say, like, uh, there's. I, I would say, like, BJJ is a little bit distinct from like people who want to study like martial arts, where they are an adult studying karate or another similar martial art is a little bit different than how Brazilian jiu-jitsu... Brazilian jiu-jitsu is more of a competitive grappling thing where it's about, like... Oh, it's I all found about out. submission and domination. And I was like, man, uh, you guys, this is gay. Yeah, I mean... And not it, in a good way. I'm they, the gayest person here. But different than... They bottomed Stephen The people times. I know who do martial arts <laughs> and I, the people I know who I, do Brazilian jiu-jitsu, it's the BJJ people who are like... I'm actually a super athlete that can beat anybody up. <laughs> well, not only that, but I'm in control of my body and control. And I also give myself to the master is very what I experience. Like it, it, there's this symbiotic relationship with the master who's often viewed as like an authoritarian figure without saying so. Yeah. And that's also something I that we kind of raised up with the nutritionists and the like fitness instructors on Instagram where it becomes this, how do I better my life? Who do I follow in order to get my life better? Because I'm feeling like shit right now. Mm -hmm. This person seems to have the answers. Let me follow them. Whether it's Lyndon LaRouche or I don't know. Yeah, I think I think it's guy. fair to say that the way most like I think a lot of people are fooling themselves thinking that they've never touched anything close to this area. I think the way most normal people come across the, the something in this area the is friends we made along the way. Are in the health and fitness or the supposed health and fitness area where it's about Controlling what you eat mm-hmm. and controlling when you sometimes when you wake up, when you go to sleep, when you're doing things, when you're not doing things, how you're doing things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, where Mark Wahlberg, 4 a.m. workout crew, who up? Yes, yeah. Where that, and it's, I think especially in America, there is this like super people love that shit. If somebody tells me they've got a very unconventional morning routine. Well, guess what? I want to hear about it. I do. I do want to hear about it. I have I'm not a very necess- unconventional morning routine. I, I love to hear about it. I'll it, tell you about is it. Is it consistent every single day? Yes. Oh, I love that. I wake up at six o'clock in the morning. Okay. I go on a run starting at seven. I finish at eight. I make a breakfast in 15 minutes uh, along with a coffee. 
and then I start my uh, website writing profiles from 8.30 to 10.30, and then I leave at between 10.30 and 11 to get to my first deliveries at 11.30. All right. Steve's in a cult. That's just... uh, I just... That's just a Have you always been a morning person? No. I've been a late night person growing up, but since I've had to take a second job, you know, it's the only time that I can do that second job is if I wake up six o'clock. And it's also the only time I can run because I don't know when I'm going to get home from the other job. And then I finish with my delivery job and then I do two more hours and then I go to bed. Well, you eat somewhere in there. Yeah, I I eat when I'm delivering Mm -hmm. and when I come home. Yeah. I can only keep... uh, My day is very segmented by like... I'm very impressed. When when I'm like... See, here's the thing. I, I when don't I, follow a master. Yeah, if I was, if I'm forced to be more regimented, when I've been in an artificial situation where I've had to wake up the same time, like and do, keep roughly a very strictly the same schedule. I think you mean capitalism. Uh, yes. No, I, I mean like in an isolated way. Like yeah, I've so gone away to to a camp or like I whatever. I been it. Like I'm like, oh, I feel better in some ways but it's like without the imposition of it i don't want i'm not gonna do it (laughs) and i push those feelings down thus remaining uh internally consistent repression that's the theme of this episode yep Mm -hmm. and doing what you want to do no because i think i've had bursts where i've been able to do where i've been able to get up and get some things done early in the day and I do like it's not like I dislike being up in that time but then I always would rather stay up late (laughs) like if I'm not thinking about it if I'm not like okay now it's time to no I used to I used to I used to stay up and read every night till four o'clock in the morning and then wake up at seven I was running on three to four hours of sleep for most of my life. That's the thing is that I, I like, if you were already waking up at seven. Well, like, for school, because I had to be at school at 745. Like, it wasn't yeah. a choice. This is a choice. Mm-hmm. I mean, relatively. I get a little irritable when it's like, oh, like, structure day, like, what would work best for you? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, uh, I'm starting a cult. Well, yeah, that's, no, that's it starts with structuring your day, and it goes to cults. Next thing you know, you're structuring a society. I'm starting an Instagram, measuring out my day. I'm going to start measuring my food. Oh, clean your room, clean your nation of unclean ethnicities. Oh, my God. Yeah, oh that's, God. The, that's the next step. Oh yep, yep, that is it the goes unspoken from- part of Jordan Peterson. Is Slobodan Milosevic. And that's the reason why Marlo keeps his room very dirty. <laughs> I think it's in an okay state of mess. Oh, God. He, he doesn't want to genocide. Know. It's, I'm very like. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the dust, if, the unvacuumed dust is diversity. If he does clean his room, then you know genocide has happened somewhere in the world. What would oh, happen? No. Yeah. Uh, oh, I <laughs> need everything to be ordered. I need everything to be a certain way. No, but I mean, I don't think necessarily some level of discipline is bad 
in no, general. No, I don't think as discipline as... is bad. I just, uh, I mean, I do hate sort of like the weird horniness about like like the hustly kind of yeah. side of it. But uh, I, I'm somebody. Serbian. I'm somebody who like I can be. I can you're, be you're super very, disciplined. You're very somebody that could take two hour lunch break, is what you're saying. Uh, Wait, no, but I wanted to say that I think that part of the reason why. You know, and this was a thing in the 90s and 2000s to over schedule your children. And I know that I was conditioned in a way that if I didn't have an after school program that I went to or if I didn't have a second half of my day after school ended that I was lazy or that I was not productive or that I wasn't going to be an astronaut. Uh, Oh, my parents resent Like, my mom didn't want to bring me to shit. So, like... Okay, this happened to me at Boy Scout camp. Yeah, no, they... I mean, that was part of the overscheduling was Well, okay, so I set up my schedule at Boy Scout camp where I got to, like, work leather, like, in the morning. And then I just have this lunch block that fucking went. And then, like, I had some, like, kind of, like oh, let's go canoeing on the lake or some shit at night. And so, like, me and my friends all have this schedule. So we would just, like, hang out and be like, yo, describe Yoshi's story to me. And, like, we would just describe Nintendo 64 games to each other. And then, like, one of the parents visited, and they were like, are these kids just sitting around? And, like, my scoutmaster made me pick up more merit badges, and I'm like... I seriously don't want to. I don't, like, uh, I'm happy with making a pocket knife holder out of leather. Oh, man. (laughs) See, I always, for me, I always thought I would, if given the opportunity, I would be, like, some hyper overachiever. Like, I think I thought that about myself as a really young child. And then when I got older, especially when I got to private school, and they were like, you don't even know how this works. (laughs) I was like, oh, no. Uh, So I think, like, there's, like, I have an attraction to, like... Like, I would have eaten it up a little. I always joke that if my mom would have been a different person who was, like, a stage mom, I was like, I would have made it work. (laughs) Like, (laughs) it would have been terrible. My mental health would have been awful. But I would have made it work because I was um, crazy. Like, I was a crazy child who uh, really thought I could do a lot of unrealistic things. But yeah, the overscheduling thing, when I became uh, like a nanny in my uh, in my early 20s, all of those kids had insane, so there's like mid-aughts, right? Like, mm-hmm. or late-aughts. The naughties. Uh, all these kids, like, and I'm talking little kids, like, I, I yeah. like, from the, the, preschool. The fucking wasps start you out early it's like but also up in new york here it is just this also professional class expectation like all the kids are going to like heart especially then they were going either not the family i worked for they did have some activities but they were like pretty reasonable but there were other families i was aware of where it was like an insane amount of activities for like three different kids all doing different shit like something my parents never would have indulged (laughs) and like 
uh, a lot of very earnest, like having the kids learn Spanish or Mandarin in a way that sometimes they would also get a nanny who was Spanish speaking or Mandarin speaking. And then <laughs> the kids would yeah, learn parasite to- parasite it. Yeah, just, uh, just kind of an insane uh, thing to witness. And the kids would be like, I'm tired. I don't, I don't want to do this. I used to, I, wanna, like, I used to fall asleep at Boy Scout camp yeah. or Boy Scouts. That's how overscheduled I was. But also, like kids do well to have like unstructured time to yeah, like. No, I, absolutely. You know, Marlo's like, very pro. Free time, unstructured is the best time. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. No, just sit around and do nothing for just hours it's the best it's very good for kids and honestly it was uh, it was very good funny for kids my of all ages yeah it was uh, my nanny philosophy because there were some nannies who would like i would be like why are you doing all this <laughs> like why are you like playing 10 different games with these kids like just to keep them constantly entertained i was like this is like either you're working for some people who are awful who are making you do this or you have some weird Thing where you think you have to be. <laughs> they're kids <laughs> you just need to keep them alive I, I just it was very funny because because also then the kids would have this expectation that especially if they had a lot of help all these adults were in their service a little bit you know that was the most fun when a kid would not believe me about something and I'd be like what <laughs> like I'm a grown up I don't know I know better than I, I know. I better. know better than you, Jennifer. I'm gonna have to check on that. I'm like, oh my god. And but then it also just like how I'm fucked up, it would make me real mad sometimes. <laughs> I'd be like, I'm way too mad about this. Oh gosh. Oh boy, I can control myself, but I am really angry <laughs> at I this child. I am an arbiter of the truth. I am over 18. That means in this society, I can have a vote to murder you and you won't be able to do anything about it. I know. Well, there, there is, I, there's like sometimes kids, like I'm very good with kids, but like. But sometimes you just want to. But there's, there's some energy from children that I'm very intolerant of where like, I don't like it when a child like threatens you even in a playful way, in a way where I'm like, do you not know I could kick your ass? <laughs> like, oh, like cause it, it makes me want to go, wait, you do know in real life, if like, if it came down to it, I would kick your ass, right? Like you, you understand this because some of them don't. That's and right. I kids, just think children shouldn't like, I like, come on. Kids, uh, you're all put on notice. I'm just saying, I'm bigger than most of you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> just, you're all on notice. Like you might be able to do like a stealth thing if you got a sharp object, children of the corn style. Yeah. But yeah, you sure. need the element of surprise. If you lose that element of surprise, you're yeah. done. You know, and it would be funny because it would be like this internal conversation where like, of course I'm not saying these things to these children who are whatever, but sure. inside I'm like, <laughs> truly there's some part of me that's actually feels like this little bitch doesn't know. Could fuck them up. Like, Bunny why? why? Child <laughs> abuser. Just uh, no, no, no. Child checker. Uh, in my imagination, 
<laughs> I don't want to abuse any children. I just want them to know I could fuck them up. If So if something came down and you turned out to be some sort of person who needed to be beat up, <laughs> I could do it. I just, I just think they should be aware of that. Yeah, pulling your adult card. You could even you could even honestly like make it look like an accident, you know? Yeah, I, absolutely. Yeah. They would I, at least need some. It's, it's mostly I gotta be honest, like, it's mostly like little, like, like small, like male children who where I'm like Are you like putting your feet out to trip them and then after they like, fall you untie their shoelaces after <laughs> the fact to make it seem like it was their own fault? Uh, no, but I would entrap them in a way that they wouldn't be clever enough right, to, right. to, you know, I, I'd make them get in their own way, <laughs> which is like, I, I'd start having like diabolical thoughts about like, about, <laughs> about like, I got to put this kid in its place. Uh, used, and none of to, it happened, of course. These, uh, most of these children are, are, they're now probably adults almost. Uh, they're, they're the, Children of privilege. They're probably graduated this year. They absolutely <laughs> uh, will do coups in Bolivia. I had zero effect on <laughs> unchecking any child. Uh, uh, no, I mean the kids I actually cared were actually quite lovely and and really great. I just did come across, um, and I have worked in several different jobs that are like very child facing uh, theme parks. I was um, birthday party princess for a while. So that's fun too. Because sometimes in Were those you bunny princess, I used to work in uh, a theme park. I was, uh, I, I was like a Snow White ish. You know, it wasn't. It's like the birthday party princess kind of unlicensed uh, <laughs> situation. But even in those settings, you'll get kids who will like. Sometimes they will come and like they will hit you <laughs> or put hands uh, on you, and you're like, no. Oh, I had a kid hit me. <laughs> I had a kid hit me, um, and I got in trouble for responding to it. This is a funny story. Mm -hmm. I was a Cub Scout uh, lifeguard, and each week we had to come up with a funny song or skit to do, and I did Tom Petty's, what's the song? Free, Free Fallen. Free Fallen, but I changed the lyrics to Free Swimming. Oh, I thought you were going to do see. Tree Fallen. Yeah, and I changed all the lyrics to have it be about swimming in the lake instead of, you know. Anyway, so one of the kids didn't like... songs about, like, love or something. Yeah, yeah. It's I, I don't know. Anyways, so one of the kids who had a mohawk, so you know he was trouble, came up to me during the middle of the performance and uppercutted my chin. That's how bad... He kept yelling at me, stop singing, stop singing, in front of the whole parents and all the other kids, and then he just punched me in the in the chin as I was singing, and I got in trouble because I was like, "Don't do that," and I put my arm and like gave him a little noogie, and then afterwards the the leader was like, "Don't put your hands on a kid." I was like, "He he punched me, but but parents are watching. You can't put your hands on a kid." Even if he punches you, you're not if, a fucking school teacher. If anything, like you, you were, that's actually not true at all. I thought it was very. Uh, I thought it was a very measured response by my. No, but my he's part. full of shit. Actually, not that anybody should actually go looking to put their hands on kids. But, but you know, there are situations where legally. You can, you know, just kick you a child's You can respond. Ass. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to tell you that is why you listen to this podcast. 
podcast is to hear the situations in which it is legal to kick a child's ass. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, you don't want to, most of the time, like, you don't want kids to be very touchy on you. You don't want them to feel comfortable, like, you know... Whatever, if you're in, in a professional lucky, setting with children. Get a fist to the but face but is this what I'm is saying. this is bullshit. Like, no. If a kid comes and punches you and like no, you're Yeah, no, you you need to establish You know to what the it's parents. bullshit because a an at like they wouldn't allow an actual like special needs child to like get away with that kind of behavior. So it's like absurd that I mean, I'm making an assumption this is a neurotypical child in some way. But you know, I think. Uh, I mean, if you didn't respond, the parents would think, "Oh my God, this Boy Scout camp is run by bitches. We're going <laughs> to have a children of the corn situation on our hands if we leave our kids here." You need to show that you can put down a potential child rebellion with extreme <laughs> force and prejudice if necessary. I think the ideal scenario. Uh, when working with kids and possibly when raising them is for them to have an acute but vague awareness that you could beat them up, but, like, you never beat them up. It just should be this constant, like, a boogeyman that, like, (laughs) haunts. But, like, you know. Virtue and terror. And then when they get older in an ideal society where we don't, you know, hit children. Because I got to say, I was... uh, I'm old enough where people just hit children, <laughs> like for real. Uh, strangers could hit you if you gave a mouth, and they might get away with it. Or sometimes your parent might co-sign on it. Uh, these are things I saw happen as a child. And these kids today think they can uppercut Steve in the face. Yeah, no, it was very jarring mid song. Yeah, no, you gotta you gotta put that you down. You gotta show dominance. Or, or you gotta be quick enough to you act gotta, like you just got startled and you fucking throat punch that bitch right <laughs> 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 ah! Oh my gosh, you, you, you scared me, buddy. Are you are me, you scared me? Let me tell you, I was very <laughs> close to just pounding this kid into the ground. <laughs> Again. Pick Okami sluts. We beat kids. Okay. As someone who attended a Boy Scout camp for years, it is only through a mixture of ideology and terror that those places can sustain (laughs) themselves against the hordes. I mean, I'm constantly torn between like, yeah, it was bad when people were hitting kids. Then have you ever met someone who wasn't who's, beaten who's by Who's never a child? been beaten, but also not even ever been told to shut the fuck up in their life? It's like, yeah, oh, I'm, this, I'm against this is also bad. Their kids, but I am for uh, considering the material and dialectical conditions of certain situations. I think it's fine when you have a child to be like, you know what? You're, I want you to be this way and not that way <laughs> about some things. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know. You shouldn't hit them. But you shouldn't hit them, yeah. Just... But there is like, um, especially like some parents, um, especially in New York where you have a little bit of like older parents or people who are like more established. 
in like these professional settings who have children and then are like, I've never experienced anything as like humbling as this. And I feel so overwhelmed because like what before they thought people were kind of full of shit (laughs) when they were talking about it being hard to have kids and whatever. But also, position is they are. Yeah. uh, But also, you know, a New York professional person who has a child in their late 30s, early 40s is uh, like thinks they're smarter than the person who had kids in their mid 20s and like can't imagine that they will experience anything close to the same kinds of feelings. And then they get like, Ugh! and then they're like, I gotta hire all this help because I don't know how to do like, ah, ah. but then also they don't know how to do things that work with kids in this weird way. Like there's a disconnect. Um, they really captured that brilliantly in, in Parasite. I keep yes, that is the actually that that is a particular aspect that is like really really well done. Yeah, um, amazing, amazing movie. Well, I didn't get to it, but I watched the movie Youth, uh, Chinese movie. Watch it; it's on Amazon. Would you say it's the parasite of Dreamcatchers? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like the uh, Saving Private Ryan of Atonement. It's more like Atonement than anything. It's got like a whole war arc and it goes 40, 50 years. Oh, yeah. I wanted to watch Martin Scorsese's Silence at some point in the near future. It's about uh, Christians in Japan in like the 1700s and it like... This is a Scorsese movie from like 2016. No one fucking remembers. Uh, so yeah, I just wanted to watch it. I never saw it before. Well, we can all watch it, I guess. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what I would say. All right. All right. All right. See ya. See ya. Bye. It's a cold world Need a sauna To heat this To cook it all the way through It's a cold world Too cold to cook this It's all sins Of heat for this food
Every day.